You know, there's this wonderful thing about traditions. I'm not sure how you do it in Christmas, but usually in December around here, it, it rushes too quick. So what we thought we would do at the beginning of November is dedicate the next eight weeks to actually focusing upon the meaning behind Christmas. So welcome to our new beginning here that we're titling Light of the World. And we're going to be telling six events, six stories in the life of Jesus over the next eight weeks because there's some other things happening in between there. And all the details are in one of the cards that you can see on your seat in front of you. In fact, on the reverse side of this card right now has all the different activities that's happening around Christmas time, including our banquet, which is on the, the, uh, the 11th as well for people to be involved in. But we thought we'd start today by opening up a theme about discovering who is this person, Jesus, and why he might be the light of the world for everyone, not just some. And if you're here with me this morning and you have an iOS device or a Bible thing, I'm going to read, and then we're going to watch it on video, because one of my friends always said it's so much more believable, Troy, when it's on video, on movies, so much real. And then Pete's going to pause for a moment, we're going to reflect, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to unpack Um, what we could read in the space this morning. So if you want, I'm just going to read something from the Bible, from Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11, a section in the Bible, one of the followers of Jesus by the name of Luke, and this is what it says. One day as the crowds were pressing close to him to hear words about God, Jesus was standing on the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats moored by the land. The fishermen had gone ashore and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, it was Simon's, And he asked him to put out a little way from the land. Then he sat down in the boat and began to teach the crowd. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deeper part and let down your nets for a catch. Master, replied Simon, we've been working hard all night and caught nothing at all. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did so, they caught such a huge number of fish that their nets began to break. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. So they came and filled both the boats and they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Go away, he said. Leave me. Lord, I'm a sinner. And all his companions were gripped with amazement at the catch of fish they had taken. This included James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. But Jesus replied, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching people. They brought the boats into land. Then they abandoned everything. Sometimes we just don't pause enough in our busy, frantic worlds. So how's your soul doing today? How does life seem to you? And I wonder what God might be wanting to say to us, perhaps to you today. You see, our story, this event takes place on a big body of water called the Sea of Galilee or Gennesaret. It's about 20 kilometres across, I know, because I've been there. In fact, in the evening time, sometimes there's a nor-nor-westerly that kicks up. And because the body of water is so large and so wide and expansive, waves kick up. In fact, I lost my first wedding ring, not that I've had many, um, body surfing on the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. Uh, I was catching this huge seven-metre wave. I was just sliding into... And uh, my ring slipped off and we went looking for it. So if you ever get there one day, just want to go hunting on the western shore, then you might be able to return it to me. Um, But on the eastern shore, it's totally different. See, there's this geography and space on the coastline there, these little caveats and inlets that form naturally at the foot of the mountains. And You see, Jesus was there in one of those spaces. And 
and, and he harnessed the natural geography at that moment. It said that he actually sat down and began to teach, as was his custom, the word of God, the words about God, about who God was, what life's about, the plans he has for people, about his kingdom. And in that sort of amphitheater, the sound would have echoed as people gathered and listened and snuggled in close. If the message was 2,000 years later, it might go something like this that would have been uttered from the mouth of Jesus, that there is a God and that he is alive and that you and I are more than molecules. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, God loves you. How do I know that? Because he sent his son, Jesus, who lived a good, godly, life-giving life where you can find life. And he, he died a death to break the power of sin and death that, that haunts this world and the darkness within. And he rose to new life such that anyone who places their trust and their faith in him, the new life that came into the being on that morning when Jesus rose becomes alive in everyday, ordinary people like you and I. The good news about God and his words. After he'd finished speaking, that echo in that marvelous inlet, he turns to Peter, a hardened fisherman. <laughs> Generations of fishermen. And he says to him, let's go out and catch some fish. <laughs> well, Jesus was confident. <laughs> Peter wasn't so much. He turns to Jesus and he says, you could just sense it. We've been fishing for generations, Jesus. I mean, I come from a family of fishermen, of fishermen, of fishermen. We've been cutting our lives and our trade out here on the water of Galilee. You don't go fishing in the daytime. See, the fish are looking for places to hide in the daytime, but you, you want to come out in the light? All right. All right. You could just hear and feel the resignation, couldn't you? We'll go out. I mean, we've been breaking our bats all night. We hurl our nets and we plunge the water to attract and to scare the fish into our nets in the dead of night. But you want to go out fishing in the middle of day? Sure. But don't say I didn't warn you. And so they go out expecting nothing. Some years ago, my, my family, you mightn't know, but I come from a family of fishermen, of fishermen, of fishermen, of fishermen, of probably two generations, actually. And we were up there on the Kiwa River, and I gathered my kids there because I believe that it's an institution to teach your kids how to fish. And there was another family with us with their three kids. And I had all the rods, and I'd been digging up the scrub worms for months ahead of time, and I'd hooked up all the lines, and I said, this is a worm, and you put the hook into the worm, and, and, and there was a pink rod. That was Tilly's pink rod. Pink rod Tilly, right? And, and I said, and we're going to go first. We're here. And I t- you take the clutch off and, and you get the line and you just throw it in. Right there in the West Kiwa, upper reaches, bright northern country, tough rural place. <laughs> where the fish are bigger than houses. And I threw the, the worm in and I just said, and that's what you do when you go fishing. Just do it in, handed it to Tilly. Said, right, now, next rod. And all of a sudden Tilly goes, Dad, it's tugging. 
I mean, no one's expecting anything, right? It's just a, an exhibition kind of practice routine. It's tugging on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Till just I'm, I'm getting the next rod sorted out. Okay, <laughs> you know, next rod up. It's tugging that. It's tugging. I said, well, okay, I'll, I count to a hundred. All right. It's tugging. It's really tugging. I'm like, come on. And it is. So I look around and the rod is doing this. Literally 10 seconds in the water. That doesn't usually happen, fishermen. <laughs> it's usually days, months, weeks, years before anything, right? 10 seconds, right? This rod is going ballistic. I said, okay, well, wind it, wind it. And she winds in this rod and she's got a trout on the end of it. And it is bigger than a house. It swallows her up and all of us is one. And she lands right there on the... And then where the kids switched on was all of a sudden this an active engagement moment. Was everyone turned on to the event of fishing? Absolutely. All hands to the decks, rods going crazy, worms in the air, rods in the water, kids catching fish. It was amazing. It was a miracle. I tell you what, it really was. And that's exactly what happened with Peter. He's out on his boats expecting nothing. He's hurled his net in the water and he's just waiting. And a whole school of sardines commits suicide. Swims right into the nets. So much so that he starts hauling on these nets and he's pulling the stuff in and he has to signal to his partners, James and John, bring your boat. I mean, if you were watching on the sidelines in that little geographical inlet, you would have gone, what on earth is going on? He's hauling so much. These aren't the fish that John West rejected. These are the ones he wish he had. He's pulling them in and they're showing their boat and they're swimming. There is just a swarm of sardines. There is a plague of fish coming out of their noses, their ears, everything. Boats are filled so much with fish that they begin to sink. And it's in that moment, that scary moment that Jesus hadn't said to Peter, by the way, I'm about to mess with you. <laughs> I'm about to change your life. You don't even know it. He says, in that moment between the sardines and Jesus, Peter stops. And it gets personal. Real personal. Because he sees the sardines and he sees Jesus. And his response is this. Go away from me. Leave me alone, Jesus. Now, the movie got it wrong. But the words get it right. See, because in that moment where there are fish coming out of his ears and they're sinking the boat, all of a sudden Jesus reveals something of himself to Peter that he had not encountered before. And it gets personal. That all of a sudden, Peter is looking at Jesus and he senses his power and he senses his majesty and he senses his holiness, his utter otherness. And Peter sees in that moment his own baseness and, and his darkness. And his natural response to the light is to just push it away and fall to his knees and say, go, get away from me. Because you see me so utterly completely that I've never even seen myself. Wow. If you're under the age of 30, you'll have no idea what I'm going to talk to you about right now. 
there used to be a machine called an overhead projector. <laughs> right? Two boxes, one on top of the other, one smaller than the other. It had lights and mirrors, right? You know what I'm talking about if you're over, yeah? That was after the risograph, all right? The amazing thing about this, this machine is that you could get this clear piece of transparency and you could put words on it and pictures on it and you would place it down on this box and you'd flick a switch and the light would come on and whoo, up on the wall you had this enlarged, magnified image of the words. Yes, it's true. This is true. I know you don't believe it, younger generation, but it's true. This was before data projectors. And, and, and everything, that, the only, the, the good thing about it is that whatever you had there was visible to everyone, right? But what it also meant is if you got something wrong, you couldn't just erase it. It was there, blemished for everyone to see. Even if there was a piece of fluff on the, it magnified it multiple times, right? And so if you got the spelling wrong or if you had the, it just, everyone could see. And I think in this moment, and Peter's in the boat, all of a sudden Jesus turns on his overhead projector into his life, into his soul, into his very core of his being, and he switches it on. And all of a sudden, before Jesus' other utterness, otherness, Peter all of a sudden sees something of who he is. It's like on the overhead transparency, it's just for all to see. And he feels guilty, he feels ashamed. His first response to Jesus amidst the sardines is to fall on his knees and say, just get away from me. Such as his majesty and his brilliance. But Jesus' words in that moment are so radically different. You see, I believe that there's a God and he's alive. And that we are more than molecules. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, God loves you. He, he sent his son to shine his light into this world, and into our hearts and minds, not to condemn us, but to call us to the light. See, I'm not sure if we get Jesus at all. knows everything about us, sees straight through us and says these powerful, wonderful words. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So it's exam week in the Arnott household. Yeah. So a week ago, we started to hear some noises in the roof of our house. Scratching. Scratching. I hate scratching. The weather got cold again, right? So when the weather gets cold, the animals come in. <laughs> Particularly rats. So my son says, rat scratching, or it might be a possum. I said, don't worry. I'm sure it's just a big rat because you can kill those legally. <laughs> just saying. Sorry, Rod. <laughs> Biologist in the room. 
And then my daughter, the next day, she, she says, oh, I slept out on the couch because I was scratching, scratching in the noise. And I'm thinking it's exam week, right? I want the best outcome. I want the house to be quiet and calm, right? Dad doing his thing. So I say to them, I'm going to fix this. I don't even tell them. I just do it because that's what I do. <laughs> so I donned on my shorts, singlet, beanie. Head torch, rat bait, mobile phone. I don't want to be bored. I climb the hundred steps up to my ceiling, shut the manhole, sit on a beam, splinters as big as your nails, all by myself in the dark. Waiting for the rat. Or big possum. Rat. After one hour. One hour. Nothing. That rat is so scared of me. Won't even come out. Because it knows that if it does, the first thing I'm going to do is turn on my head torch. The light's going to shine. And what's it going to do? going to run away for years so scared because that's what lights do but not the light of the world see the light of the world acts completely utterly different to the way in which we understand transports its light into our very hearts minds and souls and does not say go away it bids us come Once heard of a man up in a pub in Sydney and a, a young lady was talking to him about these words and who Jesus was. And he literally, he picked up his hands before her and, he's, and he held them out to her and said, you have no idea what these hands have done. She came close to him and she took them. And she kissed them. In this world full of darkness, it's infected us too. We all need some light. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came to call us and to wash us and to heal us and to forgive us and to lead us and to free us so that we might know there is a hope that be, stretches beyond death. There is a life to be had and encountered now. You don't have to wander aimlessly. You find it in him. You see, Jesus is counterintuitive. We think that in this world, when you get what you want, you will be happy. Jesus begs to differ. Some of the most miserable people in this world have everything. But they don't have what they need. Wholeness, a purpose and a meaning that comes from the giver of life. Jesus says, if you give your life away to me, you won't be throwing it away. You'll be finding it. That's why the writer John 
who walked with this man, wrote these words. All things came into existence through him. Not one thing that exists came into existence without him. Life was in him. And this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not overcome it. This world of darkness that also infects us. We all need a light. Jesus is the light of the world. That's the message of Christmas. That anyone who would come to him, fall at their knees, wash you clean. The new life that came into being when Jesus rose from the dead comes into being in you. You will have life and have it to the full. Not saying following Jesus is easy. I'm saying it's life giving. Pete's going to come and he's going to sing a song in a moment. I just wonder this morning as you've been in the boat, you've been watching from the shore, where do you stand? With Jesus. See, at Christmas time, there's a lot of people that believe a whole bunch of things. They believe in presence. <laughs> they believe in humanity. They believe things about Jesus. Maybe even in Jesus. This morning, in these next two months, I'm not going to be asking you, do you believe about Jesus or even in Jesus? I want to ask you, do you believe Jesus? Eyeball to eyeball, gut to gut, face to face, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded, do you believe him? When he says, do not fear, but just come. I'm sure there's some of you right now who'd be thinking, but you have no idea why I Yeah, maybe I don't. But God does. Jesus does. Knows everything. The light didn't come to condemn. It came to call. To lead. If you fall at your knees before Jesus... There's part of you that rightly says, get away from me. You will also hear the words. Don't be afraid. Come follow me. And change your life. Over these next two months, maybe you're here this morning and Jesus is one of those. He's Father Christmas. Why don't you take two months to find out? Come along these Sundays. Take a Bible from the desk here or out there. They're all free. There you Open up to the book of John. Read it. I gave one to a guy who was riding his bike past my place last Friday. I knew him beforehand. We stopped. We talked. He said, I've been holding 
my father-in-law, because he's got cancer and he's dying, to go to the toilet. I said, that messes with you, doesn't it? He goes, yeah. But it makes you feel like one day we're frail, right? That might happen to you and me. Someone might be holding us. He goes, yeah. I said, does he have a faith? He goes, oh, everyone has a faith. I've been reading this guy, John, about Jesus. He has some good stuff to say. You got a Bible? No. Want one? Yeah. It's my wife's. I just marked the pages to read. Let's chat. All right. See ya. See ya. Back to my trailing. Find out. Some of you here, you've been a follower of Jesus. You've never nailed your flag to the wall. We call it baptism. Take one of the white cards right now. There they are. Matt, hold one up. Write down your name. Thanks, mate. Say, yeah, I'll do that. Next year, we'll have a bunch. Not because you're getting forced to, because you want to. Because you're sticking your hand up and saying, I'm with him. The one who did the sardine trick. Maybe you're here this morning. You're hearing all this stuff and you go, this is unbelievable. What have I got to do? (laughs) Fall on your knees. It's simple faith to say, come into my life, Jesus. I want to make the change. Faith. That's it. Heart is faith. Believe him. The depths of your being. He will come to you. Maybe you follow him already. Christmas time. Make yourself available to shine his light for all to see. But get ready. Because if you say yes to that, you'll be tested about it. Got to live up to it. Might be as hard as hauling in sardines, but I tell you this you'll shine a light that reaches into eternity. Jesus, I reckon it's the light of the world.